Alright, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Oh my god, I smell shenanigan! I have no idea what's going on, but I am excited! Yeah, baby, yeah! Ever dance with the devil in the pale Inconceivable! Cowabunga! I thought this was a party! It's two Mosques and a podcast. With Eric and Jeff. Damn it! I was hoping that would continue while we were while we started recording. But, anyways, we have officially started. Cue that intro. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I wanna go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago, and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, by land or sea or phone, you can always hear me singing this song. Show me the way to go home, or else I might get eaten by a motherfucking shark. (laughs) Oh, wow. We are (laughs) talking. Howdy fucking ho, people. Uh... Two nurses in a podcast. I'm Jeff. That's Eric. You know who the fuck we are at this point. We're, <laughs> we're talking about goddamn Jaws. Um, yes, we are. We're the one show where we talk about everything pop culture and entertainment. Um, and yes, uh, it's been a long time coming. But uh, yes, we're finally talking about a real classic. Because if I'm not mistaken, this is this year is the 45th anniversary. Am I correct? 45. Uh, 41st or yes 41st anniversary damn uh, why was i thinking yeah. it was the 45th because it uh, came out in 75 uh so the yeah 40th was uh was or wait yeah so last year was the 40 was the 45th so okay. this year was the 46th damn it <laughs> <laughs> damn i was i i was lied to motherfucks hmm Anyways, folks, <laughs> welcome to our discussion. Welcome back to the works of one Steven Spielberg, of which this man, Jeff, is a massive fan of. Um, and he is the inspiration for pretty much Jeff wanting to be a filmmaker, if I'm not mistaken. But You're not wrong. Um, but yeah, dude, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to... I'm I'm t- today is definitely feels good talking about Jaws because it's definitely a classic like this is if I'm not mistaken this is this is the blockbuster that started the blockbuster right uh yes this was the first film to uh to gross over 100 million dollars yeah I'm seeing here the budget in, was back... nine million yeah yes yes and we will uh well, originally the budget, I believe, was half of that, but uh, production shenanigans caused that shit to cause that shit to spike, and we will definitely get into all that fun stuff because uh, the making of Jaws is one of the most fascinating filmmaking stories you'll probably ever hear. Uh, so, before we go balls deep into this movie, Eric, what's your personal history with Jaws? All right, so um, 
by the way, we're not doing a recommendation section this week because uh, I'm kind of empty but on the moment, but we'll get back to you next week on that. But, okay, so I think I was watching Toy Story 2 and uh one of the one of the one of the ads on the VHS was like an anniversary of jaws i think i'm not too certain but i just remember it was the opening scene of that poor young woman on amity island chrissy watkins going skinny dipping in the ocean her Swing! boyfriend is passed her boyfriend is passed out drunk and uh that imagery of her just being dragged down into the water being attacked haunted me for years like oh, yeah. years um for the longest time so i was still at that point where i'm like i i was not a horror fan i refused to watch horror films because i'm like that was not my thing i did not want to be scared the fuck out and then when you get older you start to really start appreciating horror films you, you start to appreciate you start to appreciate what they can offer and like I mean, this this isn't really a horror film, but it, I mean, it has those like elements. It's more it's more of an action adventure thriller, if that makes any sense. But like for me, I was like, yeah, I just avoided it for a long time. And then eventually, um, I think it was hmm, maybe four or five years ago, it was on AMC. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to watch Jaws. And uh, well, I'll put it this way. Jaws is great. Um now it's not something I would typically watch all the time. It's not Jaws is still not really my type of movie. It's definitely has my respect though. Like it's it it deserves its praise. Like it is it is a blockbuster for a reason. And like it the technical aspects, I mean the technical achievements that this film achieved and like all the production hell behind it truly tr- truly have proven that this movie is I mean, it is a it's a masterpiece of a blockbuster, and it is definitely a movie not to be um, passed over or whatnot. It's it, it definitely is a staple of pop culture. But um, so, so I'm going to turn over the, to Jeff then in that case. So I I grew up on this movie. I mean, shit, I, I grew up on all the Jaws movies, even even the fourth one. It killed killed your father. (laughs) He died from fear. The fear of it killed him. And actually, the day we're recording this, I believe it is Lorraine Gary's birthday. So happy birthday. Oh, is it really? Happy birthday, Lorraine Gary. I believe she's 84, 85. So I'm I'm actually drinking a delicious can of Juneshine right now. So Miss Lorraine Gary, I uh, toast this beverage to you. She is 84 as of this recording, and happy birthday indeed. And uh, wow. so, so essentially, I so before I uh, I touch on my personal history with it, the best way I can describe Jaws is this movie is film school in two hours. If you everything that you could, everything that I believe makes the perfect film is implemented in this, in this little two hour package. If you want to learn how to create compelling characters, it's in here. You want to learn how to create subtle suspense with minimalism. It's in here. You want to learn how to build tension with music. It's in here. You want to learn about cinematography. It's in here. You want to learn the three act plot structure. 
it's in here. Every fucking thing that you could possibly imagine about the craft of filmmaking is damn near perfectly implemented in this movie. Because I've I've taken quite a few film courses over over my lifetime, and we've been shown different uh, like different scenes throughout this film to essentially demonstrate various aspects of filmmaking. Like like uh, one that always stuck out to me was uh, was um, was on editing, and it was that scene where Chief Brody is on the beach, and all those uh, all the all the beachgoers are just passing by frame and it's always just cutting to either a shot of a uh, shot of the ocean. And then you see in frame, someone walks past frame, then cuts immediately back to a close up of Chief Brody. And it's, it's wonderful. And it's, uh, it was a very, uh, the professor described it as a very Hitchcockian uh, style of creating a sense of paranoia to show what, uh, what in Chief Brody's mind, what was going through Chief Brody's mind. And, the more I analyze this movie, it uh, it just gets better and better, and so I'll I'll dive into into the characters because I I have so much to say about uh, about these about these three central characters. But Jaws has been with me pretty much my entire life as long as I can remember, because it was always uh, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, and Jaws. Those were the that was the trifecta of Spielberg that I watched religiously growing up, and I remember uh, watching the uh, the making of documentary uh, for the first time, and just uh, just hearing Steven Spielberg talk and describe what he went through making this movie, and uh, hearing actors like Richard Dreyfuss and uh, Roy Scheider reflect on their experiences, it. Uh, you know, because initially I was just always enveloped in the in the thrills and the adventure of the film, but then just hearing hearing the actors describe their experience on what it took to actually make that film a reality really opened my eyes to the filmmaking process. And it's one of those movies that every time I watch it, I'm just I'm glued to the screen and I I can't stop watching. And there's not a there's not a single moment that has ever bored me. I can I can watch the I can watch the shark attacking the the cage over and over again, but I can also watch Quint's Indianapolis speech over and over again. I can watch the the dock getting torn apart and uh, and uh, chasing uh, chasing that one guy in the water over and over again, but I can also watch that scene of uh, of Hooper just going over to Brody's house for uh, for an awkward dinner. There's <laughs> so many great moments throughout this film that there's there's simply just never a dull moment. And the production of this movie was was no, was notoriously difficult. And the fact that it turned out the way it did is it's lightning in a bottle. And it has never been replicated. Even uh, even Jaws two that had a very uh, similar difficult production was not able to match what uh, what Jaws was able to create because Spielberg was uh, coming off of uh, coming off of Duel and uh, I believe the Sugarland Express also. I've I've actually never never seen uh, seen that one, but uh, but 
part of what got him interested in uh on part of what got him on board to make jaws was you know uh was he basically said, "Oh, well, this is like Duel on the Water. Go listen to our uh, listen to our Duel uh, Duel episode." And it's uh, I I don't even know where to fucking begin, man. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned Duel because I was thinking that when you mentioned how this film has a very Hitchcockian feel to it. I mean, essentially with um dual that was also very hitchcockian as well because it just oh isn't it because it's very much because you have to remember you know dennis dave (laughs) uh, i forgot the name of our dennis weaver but like yeah well that's right dennis weaver but i forgot his character's name but dennis dennis weaver's character uh, it was david okay so i was correct so, but like David, like he's getting paranoid because this truck driver is just, just been at his gut or just been at his tail the entire time, basically playing a cat and mouse game with him. And so you think he's going insane. Well, everyone else thinks he's going insane, but we, the audience knows differently. But so here very much so a very Hitchcockian feel in terms of like how Brody, you know, Brody very much wants to stop the shark from killing anyone else. The mayor is like, well, we need to make sure that everyone's profit that the while we're making money in Amityville. I was about to say Amityville. <laughs> That'd be a very different movie. Um, Amity uh, Amity Island is very much, you know, if Amity Island is the beaches are closed, that means there's no profit. And then uh, he gets all paranoid about like sharks, especially in the second movie. But here very much. He's a man who, you know, he's not used to. Brody's not very used to beach life. You know, he comes from the city. Um, he's not used to dealing with this kind of this kind of situation. And so this is him kind of like stepping out of his shell, isn't it? It's like it's it's kind of like him stepping up to the plate, going out and trying to make sure Amity Island stays safe from a giant great white shark, essentially, in the process. And so here definitely it it, jeff is right this is definitely a triumph in filmmaking like and jeff is going to get plenty into the behind the scenes productions because as you will find out um you will learn that the shark was supposed to be in the entire movie i mean the shark is but you're supposed to see a lot more of it but jeff will probably tell you and here's jeff will tell you right now of course that the shark wasn't working properly am i correct that fucking thing barely worked, and apparently, all of the uh, pretty much a majority of the shots that you see of it in uh, in full frame throughout the film is essentially the only usable footage they had of the shark. Yeah, because because the shark. I mean, it was a mechanical shark. They named it Bruce, um, and Bruce was just a horror show from what I understand, just a complete technological um, mess in terms of like a production. But I mean, when you see the shark for the first time too, you can kind of tell it's not a real shark, but well, well, you can, but, but to to my knowledge, uh, part of why it didn't operate the way it wanted to was because Spielberg made the, uh, made the conscious choice to film, on the water 
because normally they would just film this in a like in a uh, in a tank in a, you know somewhere in the back lot of the studio. But Spielberg really, really wanted to create that sense of isolation for uh, for the characters, which, you know, in the end, it turned out to be a brilliant decision. But in terms of actually shooting that, it was a fucking nightmare because they always had, a, you know, the, the current was always changing. Uh, the lighting was always changing. They would always have because uh, they they were filming this off the uh, off the coast of Martha's Vineyard, so they would often have boats pass by, and whenever uh, and they always had to shoot it in a way to where you could never see land because again Spielberg wanted to create that sense of isolation, and and it uh, I mean it, it absolutely even though it wasn't the easy way, it turned out to be the right way because that decisions like that are what ultimately I would say everything that went wrong with this movie is what made it the masterpiece that it really is because, uh, because like Eric said, uh, the shark was originally intended to be featured all throughout the movie. I think they even had uh, storyboards on the, uh, on the shark making this, grand first entrance when uh when it's eating christy Watkins and the fact that it uh that they had to film it the way it did because the shark wasn't working it created one of the most terrifying introductions to any movie ever because even because ultimately what had to create the presence of the shark without even seeing it was the cinematography and the and John Williams score, which we'll get into John Williams score. Well, and, that's the thing. And so with, uh, but what also would really sold that opening scene is the, uh, the actress that, that played Chrissy Watkins, her blood curdling screams are fucking haunting. And essentially the way, uh, when they were filming that she essentially was just being, uh, she had a, she had this harness tied to her and there were, uh, and uh, there were two different uh, sets of crew on uh, on opposite sides of her, and they were just basically pulling her back and forth. And and uh, the actress said in, in an interview that uh, at a certain point, like she uh, like I think she swallowed water or something and was actually crying to uh, or was like yelling out saying, "Hey, hey, like like we need to stop." But they couldn't tell. You know, they just thought that they just thought that she was acting. So uh, so. That almost went south, but thankfully, uh, thankfully she uh, she was okay. But uh, the way that she is, uh, like, she absolutely sells that uh, uh, sells that death. And I've always had this terrifying mental image of uh, of the shark just underneath the water, uh, like the way that it's it kind of just takes a nibble at first, uh, you know. So that, that's the moment that she's first pulled under, bops back up, and then just fucking go go goes for her, just thrashes her around, and it just it just creates this really disturbing mental image on what's happening underneath the water and the way that she's pulled underneath and it's just complete silence afterwards. Like it's it immediately establishes what an immense threat that this shark is right off the bat. And it's it's such a great introduction. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it, it's funny because so this was much like Spielberg's future film, 
in several decades, a couple decades later, um, in Jurassic Park. This was also based off a novel written by Peter Benchley. And I believe he also was involved in the screenplay. Am I right? I think he played a, uh, a small role in the screenplay. I could actually be wrong on that. I'm looking um, at it right here. So he wrote it with Carl Gottlieb, I think. Yes. Um, and uh, he, who actually, uh, actually has a small role in the film too. He's, uh, uh, so that scene where they're on the, uh, where it's that one take on the, uh, on the ferry, I think is what it is. Mm, and, okay. uh, and, uh, Larry, and, uh, uh, Larry Vaughn is, you know, talking to Brody with the medical examiner saying like, you know, like you yelled Barracuda. Everyone says, huh? What? Yell shark. We got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. I fucking hate the mayor in this movie. Like the mayor is a complete dick. All he cares about is it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like uh, a certain, uh, it's kind of like certain other people in the real world, but it's true that like, you know, he's that, he's that kind of like character who is like only concerned about like, he is certainly sure that, he, like, he is certainly a politician. Yes, he is. He, he's only care. He only, he's only concerned about making sure the economy is running smoothly so that if, um, cause tourism is a big part of Amity Island so that if the beaches are closed, that means no tourists and that means no revenue. Fuck. We're fucked. So, uh, which so I mean, like, which I mean, like you can almost understand where he's coming from, but he's, but, uh, but in reality, At the same time, like, you have a giant fucking shark on the loose that's killing people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no denying that people are going to be put off by that either way. So for but, fuck's but, sake, but, you're going to have to. But the thing is, like, at least like he's not portrayed as like a complete cartoon villain. Like he's, it's like yes, like you obviously are meant to root against him because you know Brody's right. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like you don't really know. Uh, like, like at least you under you understand where he's coming from because you know it is his responsibility to keep the economy of the town running, and if there's no tourism, then they're fucked. So you can at least under you can at least understand that perspective. At least I can. And, no, uh, and you're you're right on that. At least and, there's no subplot with like mobsters, as in the original book. Well, there was actually a uh, during a uh, Jaws two. There was a. Uh, there was a draft that uh, that would have actually been kind of interesting to see where it uh, uh, that in the uh, in the aftermath of the first film, the uh, the economy of the town was just com- in the fucking toilet and the and the town was actually uh, really suffering. And I've, I was I was always curious how that would have what that would have been like. But we'll we'll get to Jaws 2 someday because I actually have a lot to say about that movie also. But uh, but in terms of uh, in terms of this film, all the what what I do like is that pretty much every character is memorable in their own unique way, and just the the town of Amity has is a character in itself. the uh, The choice to film at somewhere like Martha's Vineyard was was fantastic. Like it perfectly sells this small community right by the ocean and. The way, uh, like, you definitely have this vibe that you know it's an everybody knows everyone type of type of little community, and the way, uh, you know, Chief Brody, uh, played by the late great Roy Scheider, rest in peace, sir, is fucking amazing as Chief Martin Brody, one of my favorite characters in all of cinema. Like this, 
this man is perfection. The uh, the way that he's uh, portrayed as this everyday family man that also has uh, you know he comes from this uh, you know NYPD background and he's uh, and when he's uh, when he chooses to uh, to move to somewhere like Amity, you know his claims aren't really taken seriously by the by the town's members, which which I'm I'm glad that they established that you know because if they if they just said, oh, you're the new guy. No one like we're not going to take you seriously. It's the fact that, you know, come you come from New York, like you, you've seen a lot more action at, as a cop. So when uh, so when, you know, he's taken, you know, completely out of his elements, you know, people think that he's just jumping to conclusions. So the all the motivation of the characters have an understandable uh, justification on why they act the way they do and that that's just good writing i think like it's uh, it helps establish the uh the the situation a lot better and it uh, it makes the gradual progression of the plot much more coherent and much more streamlined and honestly like there's nothing in this script that could really be uh picked apart honestly it it it's a it's an airtight screenplay. It's a pretty, it's pretty um, well balanced, isn't it? Like it, it definitely feels like a movie that really has a good structure because from what I understand, the novel is kind of like all over the place with like subplots that really aren't really necessary. Like not yeah, every no, yeah, there really was focused a, on. Well, there was a subplot that, uh, that Brody's wife uh, apparently had, uh, was having an affair with Hooper. Yeah, that, that that, I, I do remember that. I do remember that. But thankfully, they don't do it here. They're more concerned with Brody's kind of like task to take care of the shark because the shark is. I'm not kidding around when I say it, the shark is definitely having a good time eating people because so one of the more brutal moments was when poor Alex Kit Kinter like or Kittner. Um, just oh, gets man. brutally mauled to death. You can see the blood all over the place as he getting, as he getting mauled. And there's um, a, there's actually a, uh, that seems actually extended. There's a, I, I think the scene has been lost, uh, or it, it's locked away in a, in a universal vault somewhere. But there's an image online of, uh, of the shark's head actually coming out of the water and about to bite down on uh on little alex on on the raft and it's uh it it's a creepy image but i i don't know how it would have been in execution but the way it's done in the movie you know because this movie operates very much on a less is more uh for at least the at least for the first two thirds which was absolutely the right decision and it uh and the fact that they killed a kid shows that you know like well for one shows that that this movie doesn't really fuck around and two that it makes the threat of the shark much more real you know it's not just well and he also he also killed a doggy which not fucking cool uh (laughs) he was a good boy he was a good boy um or did not live (laughs) and uh (laughs) But then, uh, uh, so then once the, 
uh, well, for one, uh, you know, the uh, the medical examiner from earlier was uh, proven to be, you know, in the pockets of the mayor, you know, because initially he told, Bro- uh, you know, told Brody, hey, I think this, this was a shark attack. But then a uh, few scenes later, uh, you know, said, oh, well, it could have been a boat, uh, boat propeller. And obviously that wasn't the case. And so that gets Brody on edge. And so when he has his kids, uh, you know, on the beach, he almost kind of hesitates to let them even go swimming at all. And after uh, after that Kittner kid is killed, uh, you know, that's when that's what gets the town ignited on what to do. Like, OK, there's there is something out there. And so and so, again, it, it's a great, great thing that, you know, the first half of this movie isn't just Brody trying to convince everyone you know like it's like there's understandable hesitation at first uh but but then you know once a fucking kid is eaten in front of the whole town then yeah it's like okay like this is a problem and uh and so there's a whole town meeting and then you get you get that one hilarious fucking line from the extra 24 hours is like three weeks I don't know why it that makes, it does that, lead to the introduction. That, 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 of, that makes me laugh so hard. But yes, and then we get to probably the greatest introduction to a character I've ever seen. Damn it, you beat me to it. Nails on a chalkboard, and then you all know me, the how I make a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. Bird fish, <laughs> Robert fucking Shaw as Quint. This guy is per fucking fiction. This man chews the shit out of every fucking frame that he is in in this movie. You immediately know that there is this guy's experienced. He has a story behind him. He's determined to get this fucking shark. And immediately there's this intriguing mystery behind him. Like, man, like, why does why does he care so much as you you'll find out later and the way that he just immediately grabs everyone's attention and the fact that they're almost hesitant to even take him up on that and uh but you just kind of see it you just kind of see it in his eyes that he's like i know you'll call me and just strolls right out and at that point they uh they close the beach and uh, this is when Brody's obsession with sharks starts to starts to kick in. You know, he's starting to uh, research uh, research through books, and you you get that uh, you get that great shot of the of the pages uh, in the reflection of his glasses. Like it's wonderfully done. And intercut between that, you have a couple of uh, uh, a couple of fishermen who are trying to catch the shark themselves with uh, baiting a piece of meat and just uh, dangling it off off a piece of the dock. And then this is one of my favorite scenes. The uh, the shark takes the bait and starts taking it out. And then it just tears the fucking dock in half and starts dragging one of the fishermen out with him. Then he starts hauling ass back to shore. And the the sound that the, the pier makes as it starts turning and then starts heading right towards him. And then the John Williams music kicks in full force. It's wonderful. You don't even know who the fuck these guys are. You don't really care. You, you didn't see them in any other scenes prior, but it still leaves you on edge on 
it it's it, it's mostly John Williams music that uh, that really sells it. And well, plus it's uh, it's also another great workaround around the fucking shark not working. So all these different creative methods to uh, to still invoke the presence of the shark. And and right after that, uh, you know, that's when uh, that's when everyone starts to go. Uh, that's when word really starts to spread about how difficult this thing is to uh, is really is to try to get. So that's when the whole town of fishermen start to start to they all band together to try to go find this fucking thing themselves. And then we're introduced to Matt motherfucking Hooper. Well, Matt is an interesting. I was going to mention when you mentioned. Um... When you mentioned Quint, how like he has all this experience, he's been through a lot of shit. Matt Hooper's kind of the nice kind of contrast, isn't he? He's kind of the kind of the. I mean, he's an. He hasn't seen a lot of crazy shit. He's just a oceanographer, right? And he, yes. you know, he's he's a scientist. He's not used to dealing with like dealing with monster fish and uh, giant sea creatures. He's just. He he's a guy, he's more of a desk jockey kind of guy who just like like just likes to go out into the field every once in a while and he's a little green he does he he's very much he's very would it be fair to say he's happy go lucky because like he's definitely a very cheerful so. guy yeah well actually uh I, I can't believe I'm I just it's the most random comparison but I it kind of reminds me of this one line from Jurassic Park three where. Uh, where Dr. Grant says uh, uh, says to the kid that, you know, you know, I have a theory that there are two kinds of boys, those that want to be astronomers, those that want to be astronauts. Astronomers get to study these amazing things from a place of complete safety, but then you never get to go into space. It's the difference between imagining and seeing. And that's what I kind of feel like is the, that's reflective on the contrast between Quint and Hooper. How, you know, Quint is this experienced fisherman who has been through a lifetime of, you know, has like this lifetime of experience and stories to tell. And and Hooper has uh, has always been, you know, uh, you know, on a more professional, uh, a pre- professional side of the equation. You know, it's like, yeah, he has all this not academic knowledge, but. No it's practical per- like field experience. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and actually he does that- have one of my favorite lines in the entire movie though, but we'll get to that. And also the uh, I also really want to briefly touch on the real life uh back and forth that went between Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfus on set, where uh they uh they were going at each other's throats for most of the shoot and uh and Robert Shaw was uh was very uh tipsy throughout a lot of it i was gonna say i heard if i'm not mistaken sorry i don't mean to interrupt but like if i heard robert shaw was kind of also kind of a difficulty on set as well right he he definitely was and the um but was uh but what really uh and so it got to a point where i think they i think things got even physical and there was a uh but i think uh, later in life, because uh, Robert Shaw died not too long after this movie came out, which, which is very sad. Uh, but uh, later in life, Richard Dreyfus became so appreciative of his experience working with Robert Shaw. And there's this 
great clip on uh, on YouTube where uh, Robert Shaw's granddaughter is, uh, you know, meets Richard Dreyfus, and Dreyfus just like starts like like he's on the verge of tears, and it uh, it uh, it it's touching, man. It's really touching. Like it's it just kind of shows what uh, how much genuine respect that that he had for Robert Shaw. And it's, yeah. uh, so it's, uh, if, uh, if you haven't seen that clip, definitely check that out. Cause it's, well, uh, I just found it here on YouTube. I'll definitely take a look at it afterwards. Yeah. It's, but... it, it, it's wonderful. And, uh, and so at, uh, at this point, the, uh, also I want to touch on the, the deputy, uh, Hendrix. <laughs> that guy is fucking great. Now, if I'm not mistaken, there is a scene. Is it is it in this movie or is it in the second film where like Brody and the and the deputy they go out to see at one point, right, with Hooper because they're looking for some stuff or whatnot. And uh, there's they have there's some f- nice little like funny lines coming out of him. I could be mistaken. This could have been from the second film, but I yeah, just, there was a. So Hendrix actually wasn't. Uh, I don't think he. No, he didn't hit the sea at all in uh, in the first film. But there is uh, there's a scene where he's uh, he's out with uh, with a local fisherman in in the second film. Okay. And um, I am pouring another June Shine. So sorry, <laughs> sorry, I mean, listeners. And, and I'm like, I just and I am like, I just watched the movie like last week, and I'm like, how the fuck did I forget this already? <sighs> Pouring, 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 and poured. Okay, but no. So, but going back on, back going back to Matt Hooper, I like him as a character. He's probably for me personally. He's probably a character I relate to a little bit more, just because he's like, I know a lot of shit, and I'm like, he's like, he he kind of just likes to play things a little bit safe or whatnot. I mean, <laughs> but uh, he is the kind of person who can at least he he doesn't pull back on his punches either. Like he does acknowledge that there's crap going on and it leads to one of my, his, uh, he also takes no nonsense because he, he, it leads to one of my favorite lines in the entire movie. Um, where basically the mayor is like, I don't think either one of you are familiar with our problems. Hooper goes, I think I am familiar with the fact that you're going to ignore this particular problem until it swims up and bites you in the ass. Wonderful. (laughs) Fucking wonderful. Yeah. That's uh, jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, it definitely had to be mentioned. Uh, uh, so, uh, so then as the, uh, as it goes on a little bit, you see the, the fisherman, uh, just mindlessly like trying to throw chum into the water and throwing dynamite and shit. And by the way, fuck those fishermen for putting that poor dog on the front of that boat. I always felt so bad for that dog. Like what if it slipped off? <laughs> and, uh, anyway, there's already been enough dog, doggy abuse in this movie. Uh, <laughs> So the um, uh, so then uh, you know after they take a take a look at the remains of uh, Chrissy Watkins, you know Hooper, you know is able to determine, uh, basically says to the med- medical examiner, "What the fuck are you talking about? This was a goddamn shark," and and then all the fishermen get uh, they 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 uh, they did kill a shark, but not the shark, and uh, <laughs> this also leads to one of the best uh, best lines in the movie: "What kind of shark?" It's a tiger shark. A what? <laughs> and it also does lead to whoever, whoever that guy was. It also does lead to one of the more heartbreaking moments, doesn't it? Where well, well, Alex's also, mother. So, we, so, uh, so right, right before we uh, we get to that, that shot of uh, of Quint overlooking in the distance. 
it's almost like he he knows they didn't get the right shark. And it's it's because uh, he even has like a nice little uh, chuckle to himself like it like this guy just he he says so much with so little. But anyway, yes. Uh, so the uh, so the next scene, uh, the uh, the mother of Alex Kittner is uh, gives Brody a hell of a fucking slap. And she basically blames him for her son's death. Um, I mean, if anything, if, if she if she should be blaming any anyone, it, she should be blaming the fucking mayor for keeping the fucking uh, beaches open at that point and therefore getting him killed in the process. It's not, I mean, Brody was unfortunately roped into it because that's what the mayor wanted to do because the mayor, after all, is a politician. So you feel bad though for Brody, don't you? Cause he's, he's definitely, he definitely feels like he could have, he could have handled this a lot better. And he, he definitely feels like the kid's death is on his conscience. And so, especially when Hooper re- definitely doubts that like the, that tiger shark is like, yeah, I don't think that tiger shark killed anybody. And especially well, when he does the examination too. Well also, and uh, uh, before we proceed uh, that, uh, that actress that played uh, Mrs. Kidner, uh, her name was Leif Fierro. She was a local actress in uh, around the Martha's vineyard okay. uh, vineyard area. And uh, she unfortunately died at the age of 91 last year from COVID-19 complications. Wow. So, uh, so quick, quick shout out to her because for the very minimal time that she's in this film, she definitely, uh, she definitely performed a very emotionally heavy scene that is, is definitely one of the highlights. So, uh, so to you, Miss Fierro, rest in peace. The fact that she made it to her nineties though, that's not a feat that a lot of people reach these days. I feel like not at so all. Good on her. Good. Absolutely. On her. She lived a good life, but, uh, but but yeah, Hooper basically basically does the examination. He's like, yeah, I don't think the shark did this. I don't know what you guys are thinking, but yeah, something much larger ate Christy Watkins. And so they're definitely... What is so this bite def- radius crap? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, so that's when they go do the... Uh, that's when they go take a look at night looking for something, right? Before we even get there, we got to talk about the dinner scene. Oh, okay. So that's when that happens. So, so I remember my first reaction to watching this and just seeing how like, so, cause I, cause I think during the entire time, like there has there, I don't, I, I'm trying to remember. And I, again, I saw the fucking movie last week. God damn it. But, um, Brody, you know, I think because of Brody's like dealing with the shark, he's Ellen's not, he hasn't been talking to Ellen as much or hasn't been really connecting with her. I could be completely mistaken. Like she can definitely tell that it's getting to him, but that's, uh, that's what I kind of, that's what I love about this movie is that you can tell that this is just such a strong, loving family. And the, uh, that one little scene that you could technically leave it out of the movie and wouldn't, like, yeah, maybe you wouldn't really miss anything, but that scene of just Brody's son mimicking his dad is so sweet and wholesome. And that just felt like, I don't know, I, I don't remember if that was Spielberg's idea or the screenwriters, but that small little moment just 
really humanizes uh, M- Martin Brody and just makes him feel like like a real character, like a real like a real actual human being. Yeah, like a, like a real so. everyday father. And that's what because on the surface, Jaws is like has the premise of a B of a B creature feature movie. But it's moments like that that just really set it apart. And, and I feel like that's part of the added benefit of the shark not working is because of that, they were forced to focus on their characters so much more. And that's just what made that's just, that's just what makes the overall experience of Jaws so fucking unique. And there's a reason that this movie is almost 50 years old and it's it's still still widely celebrated to this day. Yeah. Hundred percent, and well, it's going off of Brody. Then, so like you mentioned, because I was thinking this at the same time, like you know, Brody could have easily been played by some 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 studio could have been like Brody could have easily been played by some macho guy who is like, I'm gonna fucking take care of this shark. The fact that it's Roy Scheider playing this like concerned father who's also a police chief really humanizes the character too doesn't it because he really shows that like he's human he's got problems he this is eating it's eating away his consciousness he's not he i mean he definitely is a badass towards the end of the movie for sure but for now you can definitely tell that like he is more than just he's more than just a police chief like he is he is a father he is a family man he is he is an everyman he is the character that people can relate to on so many levels. And I think that's why, I think that's why Brody ultimately works in the end as he's, a protagonist. Yeah. No, he, he's like, like, I think that's why that he's probably my favorite protagonist in any movie, just because of what Roy Scheider brought to that role. And, uh, and then after that, uh, you know, then Hooper comes over to, try and cheer him up a little bit. And <laughs> I, I love that he, I love that he just barges in and, uh, and then, uh, and also like something's it's so subtle, but you don't really, uh, uh, it's not really focused on, but you know, it's, it's just like an added little, uh, little bit of character development of, uh, Brody always <laughs> having an excess of alcohol. So there's that, uh, there's a great moment where, uh, uh, where, you know, Hooper brings over some wine and then uh, you know, he starts pouring the wine and fills it all the way to like the top of this like tall glass and uh, like without even hesitating. And there's this great little moment where they just uh, like Hooper sits down and then it's uh, it's just awkwardly silent, silent for a few seconds. <laughs> then Hooper just as straight as possible asks, how was your day? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. It's it, it's he it's, really is it, that awkward it, scientist, isn't he? <laughs> it, it it's the little moments like that in this movie that just make it so wonderful that even if there was if there was no shark in this movie at all, I would just have a blast watching these characters, and and I I think that's the that's really the sign of of a great film is uh is you know because I I love creature features and you know, I can, I can put up with, you know, not really caring about the characters and just, you know, biding time till the, till the monster shows up. But in, uh, 
But when you go that extra mile to really develop your characters and have and care about them, like I would say probably the next best example is probably Tremors. It's uh with uh, well, I mean Tremors is essentially Jaws on land. If no, you really it, think about it, it. Exactly. And well part of uh and I, I make that comparison because, you know, if uh because uh, like so let's say you restructured Jaws and there's no shark in the movie and uh, it could just a few tweaks and it could be rewritten as, you know, a uh, New York cop moves to small town and maybe there's some uh, some crime that happened that's really getting to him. And uh, this then he's given a new partner, Matt Hooper, and that dynamic they have. It, that alone could carry a whole movie. I feel like just like, uh, just like how the dynamic between Val and Earl could carry an entire movie. I feel the mon the creature being there is just an added bonus. And with, uh, and then uh, shortly after that, the uh, uh, well, actually before, before they uh, go on the boat, Brody has one of the greatest lines ever where uh, they, they decide to go down, uh, go down to the to the tiger shark and cut it open to confirm that the uh, that you know make sure that's the uh, see if, if it's the shark or not. And his wife asks, "Well, can you do that?" And then just like a fucking like a fucking baller, just picks up his drink. I can do anything. I'm the chief of police. <laughs> fucking badass. <laughs> oh my god, it's wonderful. Oh god. <laughs> and so then they um they end up going to uh so then they end up cutting the shark open and there's a there's a great little moment where Cooper is uh so he's cutting the shark open and then as he's uh emptying out the stomach just like like probably not on purpose but he just ends up throwing all the shit towards Brody's like, direct path and uh you know pulls out the uh, the license plate and everything and uh then you know they confirm. Well, the the digestive system of the tiger shark is very very slow, so the kid's not in there. This isn't the shark. And after that, they uh. Or wait, so I shit. Now I'm getting a little mixed up. It, they uh, yes, yes, okay. I, I almost had a brain fart right there. No, you're on you're on track. I think. Yeah. Because so after I, that, because after that, then uh, they they um. After that, then they um, Hooper discover, determines, yeah, this was a great white that did this. Um, yes, and then, and they, then, uh, that, then that leads to the line I'm thinking of, right, where he tells him it's gonna bite him in the ass, right? Well, well, well first they uh, they go uh, uh, they go on Hooper's boat to uh, uh, to essentially go uh, see if they can uh, look for the shark in the middle of the night, and Brody has another great line like. I can't go out on a boat. I'm, I'm not drunk enough. <laughs> and then as it, uh, as it transitions to the next scene, he has a bottle of wine and everything. He's like, and everybody, one man can make a difference. In 25 years, there's never been a shooting or a murder in this town. <laughs> like he's just, he's just fucking out of it. And, uh, uh, but then they find, uh, they find the, the tattered remains of the boat belonging to to a fisherman ben gardner and the way that the uh the music creeps in and uh the way that the the light is uh 
reflecting on the is uh, creating some shadows over the damage on on the boat and you see uh you see a bite mark on the edge and it's uh immediately you know something fucking went wrong here and what uh so then Hooper goes down, uh, puts on some uh, some diving gear uh, to investigate. And what's actually kind of interesting is that they uh, I don't they actually shot that uh, that scene, that underwater scene in someone's pool. I wish I could remember whose pool that was, but that that was definitely that was shot in someone's pool. And uh, and then that uh, so then Hooper uh, starts uh, snooping around and he uh in his hand, he has the tooth of, of what he's able to tell is a great white. And then one of the greatest jump scares ever, the uh, the the tattered face of Ben Gardner just pops right into frame. And my uh, my mom saw this movie uh, back in 1975. And that scene, she said, traumatized her and <laughs> said that the uh, the whole theater just screamed and th- this is one of those movies that i would give i i wish i could have been there to experience when it first came out because like a movie this fucking good i i, I can't couldn't even imagine how how amazing that would have been to experience. that reminds me i need to ask i need to ask my mom about that because my parents first date was also jaws um, oh no way i didn't know that Dude, you, how romantic, of course, no, dude, <laughs> dude, you know, the story. <laughs> I know you've, you've heard the story before. Um, no, remind me, explain to remind me to explain it to you later. But, um, but no, I remember, I know you, I know you heard the original story that their original date was Dawes was Jaws. So, but, uh, but that's neither here nor there, but, um, I really don't know. <laughs> you really don't know. Okay. Well, either I mean, way, if you, if you I, told me like, it was like, it was like, years ago probably years ago remind me to remind me then i need to ask my mom like what was that experience like then because i imagine that must have been quite the experience to say the least i think i i think if anything if i do remember i think it did freak out my dad um i think it also kind of freaked out maybe my this i could be totally wrong but like i think my mom told me like it freaked out my uncle so much that he refused to go near the toilet (laughs) (laughs) well actually so, so so something that um uh, so just a little side note, uh, pretty much whenever I have the opportunity to see Jaws on the big screen, I go and it, it usually plays at least uh, at least once a year right around summer, which is, you know, mm-hmm. perfect time to see it. And every time that uh, that jump scare happens, it creates a reaction from at least one person in the audience. And I fucking love that. Well, imagine, and well, then, like your, like what you said about your mom. I have to imagine seeing that for the first time in 1975, because because you and I have been so desensitized with a whole bunch of like jump scares and shit. Seeing something like that then probably would have definitely really would have really like been something completely different, like a completely different experience. So I, I really would have, it really would have been interesting to have seen this movie when it first came out. Um, back then, if we oh, were alive absolutely. back then, 
Imagine if we took a time. Imagine, imagine if you and I just built a time machine just for the sole purpose of seeing this movie back in 1975. Be like, if- we built a time machine. What are you guys going to do with it? We're going to go see Jaws in uh, 1975. Is that fucking it? You dumbasses. You built one of the most complicated d- devices of all time. And that's what you guys are going to do. Um, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. I mean, if yeah, if I had access to a time machine, I I would just use it for the most irrelevant shit. <laughs> I'd use it for other purposes, but okay, I do agree on that part. But um, so they so they make the conclusions right, but the mayor is just like, nope, dismiss it. <laughs> um, yep, and uh, you know, he basically says, uh, you know, all right, well, do what you can to uh, to you know, to secure the beach, but you know, they're going to be open. And then the, and then the 4th of July crowd starts, uh, starts making their way through. And, uh, and then, you know, the beaches are packed and, uh, we're then treated to a nice little cameo by Peter Benchley as a, uh, as a news broadcaster. And, mm. and, uh, but then at first it's, uh, uh, a great little moment is, uh, when, uh, when Larry Vaughn is, uh, is uh kind of strolling around no one's going into the water because everyone's kind of freaked out and so he uh, he goes up to someone uh someone that he knows and uh <laughs> the way he just pressures him he's like uh like why aren't you going in oh well I, please get in the water <laughs> <laughs> and the the fear on that family just like Oh fuck! Okay. <laughs> well, it does it does lead to this juvenile prank with a fake shark? This guy just with a shark, fake shark fin and everything, and then it leads to one of the best shots in the movie, which is that very Hitchcockian zoom in on Brody's face. Oh, that, 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 that was like that was a while ago. That, that was when um, Alex Kittner got killed. Uh, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> fuck! Fucking I'm getting jerk. my scenes mixed up here. God damn it! <laughs> See, but, like, but, see, but, that is, but that is a really powerful moment though that scene when you realize no yeah no exactly and actually uh like uh i didn't even rewatch the movie i'm just going off of memory <laughs> god <laughs> damn it movie, i've seen this movie so many goddamn yeah, you've times. seen this movie multiple times i can definitely tell but just but what really what really gets brody what's really the final straw for brody isn't it it was like because then the shark comes in like it enters a lagoon, it attacks a boater, kills him, but it also attacks his son, his oldest son, Michael. Right? Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't directly attack him, but it leaves his son right. in shock, like like mm-hmm. in like nearly killed. And there was actually a uh, there was another deleted scene that uh, they uh, the only footage I've been able to see is like a five second snippet from the uh, from the documentary that was uh, on the two thousand release of the of the dvd where it looks like the uh the guy that was killed by uh uh the guy that was eaten by the shark and, you know, and his leg is you know drops to the bottom of the ocean there was apparently there was an extended scene where he is uh he's holding mike brody and he, while he's in the shark's mouth and you know, he's spitting out blood in the process like i don't know the full con- i don't know the full context of the scene and uh th- that's the only snippet of footage i've i've been able to see uh so and honestly i'm i'm kind of disappointed that with every new release of jaws like that these all these scenes that are uh that that they're never like there's there's a few deleted scenes on there which are are 
always interesting to see, but I think I found the image, by the way, of that boater. Yeah. Is, so is it so is he like holding Michael or whatnot? And um that, that's no. what it that, that's what it looks like. And I mean, at least for that one, I'm glad it was cut, but at the same time, like I, I want to see the footage, like just for you know, for like pure historical context. And uh and you know, like Yeah, that's a pretty traumatizing moment. I'm not sure if I would have gone that far. No, I, that. I, absolutely not. But but again, like like when it comes to uh, you know the shark uh, coming on uh, the shark's head coming out of the water to bite down on Alex Kittner and the uh, the shark uh, dragging that uh, that one dude while he's holding Mike Brody like I at least for the for for the latter since that snippet was on the documentary assuming that they preserved uh, that scene all these all these years like you know post that two thousand documentary. I assume that scene is still out there in in a universal vault. So I I really want to see I really want to see that. Well, that I kind of just I kind of just while you've been talking, I saw, I I kind of googled, you know, the kind of the um the moment and I'm like there's like a little like kind of gif of the Michael Brody moment and I'm like uh oh like oh fuck. That's pretty fucking brutal. Yeah. Especially when that guy so the guy's being dragged down. So Bruce the shark is just like um, you know, the guy's obviously spitting out fake blood. He's just dragging him down, dragging him down. But just like that guy is just kind of holding on to Michael for dear life. And Michael's just all traumatized. But like the guy's just like, and the shark just drags him down. I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty haunting moment for sure. No, it, like, it really is. I mean, but moments like that probably would have definitely given it an R rating. And the fact this movie got away with a PG is actually, I mean, it's not too shocking, you know, because there, there's not much profanity and right. You know, what... But let's be honest, all the blood and stuff. This movie should have gotten an R rating. Uh, I don't know, because it's like like there's definitely blood, but it doesn't hold on it too long. You know, it's uh, it, it's just there. Yeah, I guess I know. It, I it's just there long enough, like uh, like like with the leg falling down and uh, Alex Kittner getting eaten. Like, I, I would say the closest that it gets to to possibly getting an R rating is when Quint gets eaten and uh, like mm. we'll definitely get we'll definitely get to that scene uh probably in another hour or so because goddamn well, uh, this movie this movie def- this movie is definitely cuz we can definitely jump into it but i guess i guess so as a result of this they're like fuck it that's it the three of them Quint Brody and Hooper they're like let's get on the orca which is Quint's boat and we're like we're going to go to sea and we're going to get this son of a bitch. Well, um, well after. Well, well, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, because, well, one of my one of my favorite parts is like when they go out to sea and then that's when the music kind of changes. You can hear like John, you can hear the John Williams score really like kick into like, all right, it's now time to because now it's shifted from a thriller to an adventure at this well, point. Well, something that, that I think is very important to mention is when uh, as well, for one, they uh uh, the fact that uh, that Brody has the motivation to go out and get this shark and the fact that, you know, you know, Hooper, you know, he, you know, he uh, he, he obviously respects Brody. So, you know, he and plus they they need an expert of some kind out there. And uh, but the moment that they try to go hire Quint, when they step into his little workshop, they just see all these shark uh, uh, these shark jaws all over the place and that just 
that just creates a mental image in your head of like, man, this this guy really has it out for sharks. And then the uh, and then throughout that scene, like that's when the dynamic between all the uh, the groundwork for that great dynamic between these three characters is really set up where it's uh, where, you know, Quince trying to, you know, to make Hooper his, his little bitch and trying to always uh, trying to one up him. But Hooper's not is trying not to have any of that shit, and mm-hmm. uh, and then the Brody's just kind of caught in the middle of it. Like it, uh, you know, it, it's like he's the complete outsider, you know, because he like he he doesn't like being like uh, he's not he's never really been on a boat. He doesn't like being on the water or anything like that. So he, it's uh, so this is like completely out of out of his uh, out of his elements and. Uh, then after that, you know, he, uh, you know, he has to say, you know, he says goodbye to his wife and then you get that beautiful fucking shot of, uh, of the orca starting to set sail. Well, not sail, but starting to venture off and right. the way it's framed with the, with the shark jaws in the window and the orca starting to, it, uh, uh, that shot sums up the whole movie, I, I think. And as it uh so then that's when it takes about a uh takes about like a 10 15 minute little period just for these three characters to interact this is when you really get a sense of camaraderie and quint is asserting himself as the captain like all right if you're on my boat you fucking listen to me and that's when the little breadcrumbs that are going to come into uh come into play later are established with the uh with the air tanks and uh, you know, Brody's inexperience with uh, with trying to uh, with trying to you know do his part on on the ship, and and then you have that uh, you know he doesn't know which knot he's really pulling. So uh, so on the side, Quint is trying to teach him how to tie all these different knots, and uh, there's this great little moment where uh, where Quint is uh, so he's uh, you know. He's kind of just chilling and then, uh, you know, has has a has a fishing line in the water and then a couple small little tugs and the way that the music starts to subtly fade in and the look on his face like he just he's getting fucking ready, like he's getting strapped in, getting all of his harnesses and everything. And the way that builds up is wonderful. And, you know, turns out it's not uh, doesn't seem to be uh, not the shark, but the way it puts you on edge like that, it, uh, you know, because I would, I would honestly say that the moment that the, uh, that the guys, you know, get on the water, that's when Jaws really becomes Jaws. The first two thirds are really a setup. And what's kind of surprising is that the, uh, I think it's like the last 40 to 45 minutes of the movie is are these three are the three characters on the boat and because when you really think when you think jaws you know that's what you that's what everyone tends to uh, tends to picture in their head you know brody quint and hooper on the boat chasing the shark and uh but that that's really the last uh that's really like the last third of the movie but because it's built up so well it's uh like getting leading up to that uh, to that point of the film that you know 
like it's not it's not one of those things where you uh, you're just kind of waiting like okay just just get to the good part and uh, like it, it doesn't have that problem at all because it's just built up so fucking well and then we get one of the greatest moments in cinema history where Brody's, I'm gonna let you take this one for sure yeah <laughs> Brody's just throwing chum in the water and just kind of like trying to crack a joke like. I can go slower ahead. Come on and chum some of this shit. And then the shark <laughs> pops his head out of the water. A great reveal. And the way that his face just goes stone cold. It's fucking wonderful. His- was that his first time react? Was that Roy Scheider's first time reacting to the shark too? Or was that a, or I mean, was I, that a, I, like I one of the couple I, takes? I think they, they did multiple takes because uh, I've seen some footage of, uh, of outtakes for that. Because, you know, the, the shark wasn't fucking working. Mm-hmm. And uh, but still, Roy Scheider's reaction is amazing, <laughs> and the way that he just slowly walks back, just freaks the fuck out about what he's what he saw, and then delivers the iconic line, "We're gonna need a bigger boat," which was actually improv by by Roy Scheider. I was gonna say because yeah, that was some some of the best lines in movies are actually improvised and yeah that was from what i from what i've always understood that was a line that was that he came up with on the fly um oh sorry go ahead no no no, that was that was my thought and uh and then that's when uh uh and then once the shark starts swimming past the boat you just see the look of awe on all these guys like shit this is what we're up against (laughs) and then the music kicks in and it, it's wonderful and it's uh at this point this uh you know because i've been mentioning john williams music you know all all throughout this uh this episode but you know obviously there's the classic dana dana but the music in particular during this sequence i think it's when it really begins to shine where it uh where you know the classic theme definitely creates this terrifying presence of the shark just through those two little notes but at this point, you know, it's uh, that's when this is when the music takes on a more fun, adventurous uh, essence, and it really puts you on the edge of your seat. And this is when uh, uh, this is when the uh, w- when you really begin to notice how fucking good the editing is, which uh, the editor, I believe her name was Verna Fields she won an Academy award for the editing in this film. And it is well-deserved because this is one of the best edited films I've ever seen. No shot lasts too long or too short. Everything just flows beautifully. And, and then uh, once, uh, once Quint begins to, uh, uh, to grab his, uh, starts to assemble his little, uh, his gun to, uh, to attach a barrel to, uh, you hear a voice on the, uh, on the radio, which happens to be none other than Steven Spielberg, and uh, when uh, and then as soon as uh, and then in between all that, you get hilarious banter between Brody and Hooper. Foreground my ass, <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, oh, wonderful. And then as soon as uh, and then you get these great little moments where uh, where Brody is trying to uh, you know like. He's, uh, he's like, fuck you, I'm not going to the front of the boat. I'm going to go back. And then as soon as he starts <laughs> to make his way back, Quinn comes out with his fucking spear gun. He's like, and Brody's face, just, his eyes just white. He's like, shit. And he starts making his way back. 
<laughs> and then uh and then you get this great little moment where uh where the music begins to intensify even more and Hooper is trying to tie the uh tie the barrel uh to the gun or uh, to the to the bullet not the bullet but whatever the fuck uh to the spear as fast as he can and then as the shark's closing you know Quinn's yelling back at him like hurry up he's going he's coming straight for us don't screw it up now <laughs> <laughs> the well, moment he uh and then uh, as soon as it uh as soon as it uh as soon as the as soon as it makes contact and the barrel flies off uh you get this great little hero shot of uh of the uh of the boat kind of swinging into frame where it uh you 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 see uh you see Birdie and Hooper at the top of the sh- at the top of the boat and then you see uh you see Quint uh become uh show in center frame it's a great little hero shot on uh, like that little moment always has always stood out to me, and then uh, then you see the shark go under, and then uh, you have this great little you have this beautiful shot of Quint uh, against the sunset, you know, just kind of patiently waiting. Like, yep, I've seen this before. I know how this goes, and then it uh, transitions into probably probably the greatest scene in the movie. If I'm being honest, this is actually my favorite. So I mean. We all, I mean, obviously, the end of the movie is is amazing, um, and then uh, and then like that iconic opening of Chrissy Watkins being murdered is is amazing. But I agree with Jeff. This is actually my favorite scene in the entire movie because so I remember taking a, a creative a creative writing course when I was in community college, and we we watched a couple scenes to kind of get an idea of like, what's good, really creative writing. And this was the scene we watched. And this is the scene where they compare scars. And I'm going to let Jeff take over for this one again, because, um, Oh yeah. Because I this got, is, I got shit to say. I, I'm at, I know you do. And actually I have a little bit to say too, in this case, but essentially, essentially like, I'm not exactly sure how the conversation starts, but like essentially, you know, the shark is not bothering them at the moment. It's nightfall. And so they all decide, fuck it. We're out at, we're out at sea. We can have a little R and R let's get drunk. And as they drink, they start comparing scars. And obviously it's just, it's almost like they're trying to one up each other. Um, It's mainly just between Hooper. (laughs) It's between Hooper and Quint mostly. And like, I think, Brody has one scar he wants to compare, but he ultimately decides it's probably not that important. But well, then, well, you you know what's funny? It's an appendix removal scar. <laughs> Why did I? Th- I think it. Th- I think that's what. I, I think that's what's so hilarious. So like, oh, so well, then, well, well, okay, hang on. I I have to mention this one little line Hooper gives. Like he uh, he unbuttons his shirt. He's like, look at that, Mary Ellen Moffat. She broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and the laugh that Richard Dreyfus gives fucking kills me every time. <laughs> and so then, then uh, it do- so then it leads to Quint and how how he basically has been dealing with not just the physical scars but the mental scars of surviving the Indianapolis. Well, well hang on, I we we need to uh, more smoothly transition into such an important uh, sequence. So. If you don't mind, as I kind of, as I condescend, <laughs> as I condescendingly take over, like an <laughs> asshole. Uh, it's your review, asshole. <laughs> you're, you're goddamn right. You're my fucking guest. 
<laughs> I'm the host too. now, bitch. <laughs> uh, so after uh, love you too. <laughs> Uh, so after, uh, <laughs> so then, uh, after, uh, so then Brody, uh, Brody, asked, so they're, they're all sharing a laugh and, uh, then Brody asks like, Hey, you know, what's that scar on your arm? And then, uh, Quint, Quint says, uh, like, Oh, it's a tattoo. I got that removed. <laughs> and who has another great line. Don't tell me mother. <laughs> <laughs> and then again has another great laugh and then the way uh the way quint just says uh like no nah, that's the uss indianapolis and the way hooper's face just freezes it just like it, it says it all and then brody asks what happened and then quint delivers one of the most haunting monologues i've ever heard in my life and for a little bit of context the in real life, the story of the USS Indianapolis, I believe, was only recently declassified by uh, only a couple, only a few years prior to to Jaws being released, because you know at the time it was a very classified mission. You know, it it was the ship delivering the Hiroshima bomb, so obviously that's pretty top secret shit, and. The uh, the monologue was written in many different ways. In the original script, it was only a couple of paragraphs, but uh, but then uh, Robert Shaw himself rewrote it. And as soon as uh, and when when they were actually filming it, he uh, he was actually drunk delivering delivering this monologue. And in a weird way. I think that enhanced his performance and the way he delivers it. And to my knowledge, uh, pretty much everything he's saying is historically accurate. And uh, the way they, uh, and I, and actually a random, a little piece of trivia. uh, So I believe in the, in the eighties, one of the proposed ideas for a Jaws movie was actually going to be a prequel centered around Quint, uh. around around his like detailing his story on the Indianapolis, which it's one of those things where I think if done right, that could be really fucking cool. But at the same time, I think Quint just is such a cool, mysterious character that I. I don't think that's really needed, but at the same time, I, I think the story around the Indianapolis is fucking amazing and terrifying at the same time that, like, yeah, there's that shitty Nicolas Cage movie that, that was made a few years back, but it's such, it's such a crazy fucking story that, that a proper film telling that, telling that story with like a decent sized budget and everything. Like, I think that really needs to happen because it, that's a story that needs that really needs to be told properly and the way uh the way quint justifies or uh you know explains to them his hatred of uh what he has against sharks you know why he'll never put on a life jacket again it's delivered so perfectly and and apparently the uh those are the authentic reactions of roy scheider and richard dreyfus because they were just so entranced by Robert Shaw's delivery of this monologue. And then the tone switches again when they hear a wail in the distance 
And then Quinn just starts singing the song. Show me the way to go home. And then Brody and Hooper start start uh, chiming in. They all start singing together. And then in between that, uh, like while they're singing, the shark starts attacking. So within the span of a few minutes, you go from a few guys just shooting the shit, comparing scars, sharing some laughs, delivering a traumatizing, haunting fucking story and then they start singing and then they're attacked by the shark all within the span of a few minutes and none of it feels forced none of it feels like it's out of place it is all built and constructed so flawlessly that for one it's brilliant writing it's brilliant acting it's brilliant utilization of suspense and a great demonstration of Robert Shaw's acting, who, again, was taken far too soon. Like, a truly wonderful, gifted actor. And and the way... Uh, and then, after after all that, uh, they... Uh, uh, so, Brody then starts... Uh, makes his way to the to the front of the front of the boat and you know has as the gun on standby and has that really cool shot of him in the foreground and you actually see uh, a shooting star uh, fall behind him and you know that, that wasn't optically added or anything that that just happened to be there so hmm. uh, so it's just one of those random things where like oh well, that's kind of cool and uh, uh, but then uh, then we go to the next scene where uh, I think at this point it's two barrels and uh, two barrels pop up and uh, then you get a nice little little uh, jump scare with the shark popping its head out of the water. And uh, at this point, Brody's like, all right, fuck this. And he tries to <laughs> he try tries to make tries to radio for a uh, uh, radio, the Coast Guard. And then Quint just starts to lose his fucking mind at this point. And smashes the radio in and Roy Shire like delivers like a great outburst right here. And, uh, and then Hooper, uh, Hooper then, I don't know. I don't know why the way he delivers this line. Oh boys, I think he's coming back for his new and feeding. And, and again, right here, this is where John Williams music begins to really shine where it's, uh, you, you get this great little tracking shot of, uh, you have the shark swimming past the boat in the background and you have Quint, you know, trying to make his way to the front of the boat within the same shot. It's wonderfully done. And then Quint gets another barrel attached to the shark. And probably my, uh, uh, one of my favorite shots of the movie is when the barrel swims by in frame and you have Brody behind, uh, behind a, a sheet of glass or behind a window. And, uh, the barrel is reflecting, on on Brody from the from the uh the glass of the boat. It's a great great fucking shot right there. And another another fun chase ensues where the uh, the sense of adventure is really invoked through uh through John Williams's music. And uh do you want to talk for a while Eric? I'm sick of hearing my own fucking voice. <laughs> well no, sorry. I've just been so encaptured by listening to you that I'm like this is why you're my co-host. <laughs> but but um, but ultimately what happens is the shark 
you know what ultimately happens is of course the you know the shark drags the boat backwards swamps the deck and starts flooding the engine and so they're like well fuck we're gonna well, we're basically sh- we're basically sh- like sitting ducks out here the, at this point so now they're so now the orca is slowly starting to sink and so well, they're like Cooper, oh, into the shark cage. <laughs> oh, so uh, jump, jumping ahead a little bit. Sorry, there's, there's. I pretty much have something to say on every fucking frame of this movie. In, in case you haven't noticed, uh, pretty much. So there's, uh, so there's. So that's this, why I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> so there's this, there's this great moment where uh, at uh, at one point there's uh, there's three barrels attached to the shark, and it's uh, you know Quinn's thinking, okay, you know like. Like no way with three barrels, like, you know, it's, it's going to bop up and I'll be able to take him out then. And, uh, then you can start to tell that he's really beginning to lose his mind because he's really starting to, uh, he's like, like he fuck like blows out the, uh, the engine and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have this, uh, you have this little moment where, you know, the, uh, the three barrels are, are starting to, uh, drift towards the boat and then, they go underneath and the look on Quint's face, he's just like, Oh shit. This, this is new. <laughs> this is new territory for me. And, and then that's when, uh, that's when things start to really, uh, not favor the odds of our, uh, of our three leads. And one thing, it just keeps building on top of, on, on top of itself. And, as soon as the, you know, once the engine fucks out and the, uh, you know, and the, sh- in the process, the shark is so fucking strong that it begins to actually drag the boat, and like they're trying to trying to cut the ropes and it's not doing any good. But in the process, a shitload of water gets into the boat, which fucks with the engine even more. And at that point, they're just like, fuck. We're, we're gonna sink and you have this uh, subtle little shot of uh you know of quinn just you know uh knowing yeah we're, we're gonna sink and he just looks at looks at the looks like there's three life life uh life vests only only grabs two hint hint and so it's almost like at that moment quint is beginning to accept his fate right there which which I, I think it's like again it's not it's very subtle which i think is what makes quinn such a fascinating character and as a last resort they're like fuck it hooper get, get in the cage the fucking cage and so uh, hooper gets in he's he's got what uh some sort of spear with what he's got it's a uh, spear but with the, like some sort of like poison. chemical attached poison yeah Yes, and uh, and so once uh, so after they assemble the cage, Hooper get Hooper gets in, and then uh, th- this is like this might be my favorite moment where the classic Jaws theme is implemented. Uh, so throughout a majority of this scene right here, uh, this uh, a lot of this footage was uh, of the real of the real shark footage was uh, that was implemented was shot by I believe. Their names are uh, Ron and Valerie Taylor, who were uh, who were very famous uh, 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 wildlife uh, photographer and uh, videographers, and they. Uh, so in the original script, 
uh or hang on i'm i'm jumping ahead a little bit uh so but not too far ahead so we'll uh i'll, I'll make a smoother transition to this so the way uh the way the shark just s- kind of slowly emerges from the from the darkness and uh just swims past the cage it's wonderful and then once it begins attacking the cage again another great jump scare uh it's a beautifully done scene very very intense and hooper you know the shark is tearing into the cage and uh hooper narrowly fucking escapes you know drops the poison spear and it can only just get a couple jabs at it with a with a dinky little uh diver's knife and uh, then Hooper finds uh, finds some coverage, uh, uh, finds some coverage somewhere, and then the shark begins uh, tearing up the cage, which technically creates a continuity error because the uh, because the technically you know the shark was ramming the front of the cage, and so it tore that up. But once it cuts to the shot of the of the actual real sh- uh, real footage of a great white shark, it's uh, you know, it's on the top of the cage and it's flopping around like, well, wait, how the fuck did it get up there? And why is there no hole? Uh, why is there no damage to the other uh, to the front side of the cage? So the explanation for that is they were. Uh, uh, so when Ron and Valerie Taylor were uh, were getting this footage of great whites, they were uh, well, first they were using a miniature cage and a uh, and a little person as a, uh, you know, as a, you know, to actually build up the scale of the uh, of the great whites as they were swimming by and uh, and so once they were uh uh and so at at some point you know they, they were i believe they're wrapping up for the day and then this massive fucking great white starts swimming by and and then it's uh its nose got caught in uh on the top of the on top of the cage and then it just starts violently violently thrashing around and that's the footage that ends up in the movie. It just uh, tears the the shark just gets tangled in this cage and starts thrashing around. And it was this incredible footage that I don't think ever has ever was really filmed at the time. So th- this uh, so in terms of just pure wildlife uh, wildlife footage, like this was pretty fucking groundbreaking stuff. And in the original script. Hooper was supposed to die because Hooper does die in uh, in the novel, and uh, but once Spielberg saw this footage, he's like, "We have to use this," and and so it was uh, so because of that footage that uh, Ron and Valerie Taylor uh, were able to obtain, Hooper lived, and uh, you know they just made a quick rewrite to the script and uh, and actually when uh, uh, this was all covered in the uh, in the uh, 25th anniversary documentary and it's really fascinating stuff they actually have uh there's actually footage of the uh of how the shark was so they have uh both the raw underwater footage and what the shark was doing on uh like on the surface because it was it was pretty much like it was it was right at surface level and you just see this massive tail just like thrashing onto onto the boat that the cage was attached to and it it just shows how fucking massive this this great white really was like that that was the real jaws right there uh-huh. and uh and so after uh so so then they begin to quickly crank up the cage to try to get hooper out of there and then they just they just see it torn to shreds 
And then, oh boy, we then we get Quinn's death. You are analyzing the f- you're and detailing the fuck out of every scene. You are not fucking kidding around. Dude, I've, been, I've been calmly sitting here and just listening, almost like I'm also also it's like I'm also checking my emails too and still paying attention to this. What did I'm I like, say oh. at the beginning of this review of this episode that we're going balls deep? I don't say that shit lightly, and I mean balls deep. Balls. He was, yeah, he, he's not kidding, but yeah, Quint's death, very graphic for the time, especially for that. And as Jeff mentioned could have easily garnered this movie an R rating, but um, it's still very effective in the long run just because of just how the way it happens because the boat's halfway sinking at this point and um, the sharks, you know, basically the shark leaps on the boat and just grab, I mean, just bites down onto Quint in the process. And well, plus fucking, like just the... Uh... Like just the yes, I'm I'm pouring another June shine. Don't fucking judge me. No, 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 but no, but <laughs> no. I'm I'm saying though, like it's a it's a really brutal moment, isn't it? Just like that. Oh no, it absolutely of, is. And like, like, just being like, dragged down and half eaten and like, like well, bleeding the, out to death, well, being like, crushed well, by like, those shark jaws. Well, plus like the way that there's no music and you know it's just the uh, like uh, well plus like Robert Shaw's blood curling screams. Like it's like you really believe that this guy's being eaten right now mm-hmm. and uh like i get chills every time that uh, that the shark just uh like once it you know quince like like uh violently kicking at the at like at the face of the shark just trying to just avoid getting in its mouth and then once it bites down that cr- oh, that little crunching noise that, that it makes and oh it, it gets me every time and you know he's trying to you know stab it with a machete but you know it's no use and then uh, the moment that you know it bites down, Quinn spits out the blood, and then he's taken, taken up, taken underwater. And Brody, to his knowledge, he's all by himself, and you know this is his last stand. Then the shark just crashes through, uh, crashes through through the boat, trying to trying to get to Brody, and it's really fucking gross. You see chunks of quince flesh in between the shark's teeth it's fucking nasty and uh and then so this is where the brilliant foreshadowing comes into place brody throws the air tank into the shark's mouth and and then he grabs the gun he grabs the little uh spear thing he uh he gets uh to the he climbs as high as he can to the top of the boat Shark uh, bops his head out of the water. He tries stabbing it, and something I I noticed in the last few years, uh, you see like weird little paint marks on the shark. So I'm not I'm not sure if uh, okay, sure I think if what you mean. Like an, I'm not sure if that was just an accident in the in the workshop that they just forgot that was just never really taken care of. But eh, whatever. And uh, so he's violent. He's like jabbing at the shark and. This is one of the greatest climaxes in movie history. The shark is just it's making its way full speed towards Brody. And then he's just Brody's just like, show me the tank. Show me the tank. Blow up. The music kicks into high fucking gear. And you see the you see the bullets like just narrowly missing the shark. And it just gets closer and closer and closer. And it leads to this moment. Smile, you son of a 
And then Brody just gives the... Did you not just hear me play the fucking audio just now? God damn it. And Great, you just got his copyright claimed. Good job, Eric. <laughs> it's an uh, it's a small audio moment. Jesus <laughs> Christ. It, it, that's not good. That's, that's only like seven seconds, too. Fuck. And then... Uh, um, and then the moment the shark blows up, like every every fucking t- I've 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 seen this movie in theaters probably five plus times. Every time the shark blows up, the crowd cheers like crazy because it is such a great, it's such a great fucking moment. Just seeing the look and and like just seeing the look on Roy Scheider's face too, just like yeah, <laughs> like Brody it, is it, Brody's wonderful. like I've done it, I've done it. it. It's fucking wonderful to see. And then and then Hooper bop, bops out of the water. And then they I love that they <laughs> before even saying anything, like Brody and Hooper, like they just start laughing. <laughs> like as the like there's blood in the water and the boat's fucking destroyed and they just start laughing. Like, yeah, that's yeah, their friend. Happened. Yeah, their their com- their comrade just died brutally. And uh yeah. And then interesting uh, way. And then uh they just, they, uh, then they, they take a couple of barrels. They start kicking back towards, towards the shore. And, uh, and something that, that I actually love is, uh, something that I forgot to touch on earlier is, uh, uh, not, not till like the last, uh, 15 or so minutes of the movie. That's when you finally get your small glimpse of land in, uh, in sight, uh, you know, for the first time, because they, they did such a good job at just making it feel like they're really well, they were in the middle of the ocean. But the way the angles that they had to set up, they had to not show any land in the distance. Otherwise, that would just kill the illusion. Mm-hmm. And and so it really does feel like this natural progression of of them venturing out and trying to deal with the shark and then gradually making their way back. And they finally begin uh, kicking their way back towards the uh, back towards land, and they have this they have a great little back and forth where, uh, like probably like one of one of my favorite final lines in any movie where Brody just says, "I used to hate the water," and Hooper just responds, "I can't imagine why." <laughs> and and the, like the way John Williams' music enters in uh, as the credits roll, it just it creates just this calming sense of relief that's and it just it lets you take in everything that that you just saw this incredible fucking thrill ride of a movie that did not let up until the last until the last couple of minutes and what i also love is as uh you see far in the distance uh it it almost takes you a moment to uh, to really notice it but in the distance, you do see Matt, uh, you, you see uh, Hooper and Brody, like kind of slowly making their way towards shore. And the moment that uh, the credits finish rolling, uh, and then the moment that they finally walk onto land, that's when it fades to black. Huh. Fucking, okay. per- fucking perfect. And that hmm. is goddamn Jaws. One of the, one of the greatest fucking movies ever made. Can I just say real quickly, um, everyone who's been listening to this, um, we can't hear it. We can't hear it, but please give yourselves a round of applause because this is truly, this is truly Jeff's episode because this is, 
this is truly a movie that you can tell this is the movie where you can really see Jeff's passion for filmmaking. You can really tell just how much this movie means to him. So anyone listening, I want I want you to just applaud and and give it up for Jeff because God damn it, um, that was that was wonderful. Like I, I, I like no kidding aside, it was it was beautiful to listen to Jeff just gush about this movie because you can really tell just how much this movie means to him. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jaws is just one of those movies that have is just left an irreplaceable impact on my life and i've seen it so many fucking times and it just never gets old for me i i have to watch it every year around the summertime it's i honestly i don't have a single complaint about it i do think that this is a perfect movie and i always it's like i always i have this little inner battle in my head like you know i don't really like to have a favorite film but uh you know it's like like with the ones that always this movie are, definitely comes close like the, the ones that always compete that are always neck and neck are uh jurassic park and jaws because those are the two movies that have just left the largest impact on my life and mm-hmm. love for film but i think i I might have to go with Jaws in the end because as much as I fucking adore Jurassic Park and when we get to that movie, you'll probably hear me gush about that for almost two hours also. Well, uh, the difference is, is when we get to that episode, it won't be just Jeff g- gushing about that movie. It'll be hopefully two other people gushing with us at that time. But yes, I can't a- say I can't say who, but because um, I want you guys to really. I, re- I really want you guys to listen to that episode when it happens. That, that That's going to be an events episode for sure. But oh, yeah, but like in terms of uh, like, I would say that Jaws is, is like my filmmaking Bible when I, when I, because I, the type of film that I would love to make someday is, is a, is a creature feature with, I thought you were about to say a shark film. <laughs> But, I okay. mean, like a shark, a shark film would would be cool, but I mean, I, I would love to to make an original creature feature with with well uh, with well rounded characters and okay and uh, Jaws and Tremors would be my primary uh, source of inspiration. But oh, especially Tremors for but, fucking but I sure. Mean, but I mean, without but Tremors wouldn't be Tremors without Jaws. Oh well, yeah, of course. And so, as much as I fucking adore Tremors. You don't get that movie without Jaws. You are correct in that case. And so it's like you always have to go back to the source. And it's absolutely like once you watch it, you completely understand why this movie has been celebrated since 1975. And if you ever come across someone who says that this movie is boring and it's dumb because the shark looks fake, uh, don't ever take their opinion seriously on a movie ever again because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about and they don't know what good movies are. Uh, I know, like, oh yeah, well, film is is a subjective art. Well, the only ob- one of the few objective, uh, objective facts in the law of film is that Jaws is a great fucking movie, and it's one of those things where I I can watch it an unlimited amount of times and. I always find something new to fall in love 
about this movie and I love just learning more about it. And there's a, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't praise it enough. I'm sure at this point y'all are tired of hearing my voice. So, <laughs> well, folks, I think we're gonna cut. I think we're gonna end it there on that. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another fine installment of Two Nerds Keys in a Podcast. But before, of course, be sure to follow the show on Instagram. That's at T N A A P C A S T. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, like and comment on all the videos there, and be sure to give us suggestions for more for more. Uh, stuff in the future to review of and of course we're on apple podcasts and spotify to listen as well so uh from all of us here folks this is eric mr man chief <laughs> ladies and gentlemen <laughs> please stay shiny everybody have a good one next level, next level. Next level.